You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You're listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by... Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network, in partnership with Wish TV, you may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Paul Lucian founder and CEO of Lucian. What he offers people like me is a chance to learn more about yourself, learn more about your business. And in a lot of ways, based on my experience, because I am a customer, uh, how to serve your community better. It's a holistic approach and it's been very enlightening for me. Paul, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You were born in Kokomo. Blue collar town, certainly had some rough spots as you were growing up. What was it like to be a young man in Kokomo and grow up in the 70s and 80s? First of all, I think uh, when I drive through Kokomo today and I, I look at what once was as I drive through and, and God, I was lucky to be a kid in Kokomo back then. I was very fortunate. It was vibrant, busy, factories were full, parking lots of factories were full. Um, but now you look at it and it's... it's uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it's a shame. But growing up in Kokomo was awesome. It really was. Uh, sports, schools, uh, just I don't know. I, I cannot explain what kind of a great childhood I had in Kokomo. And, and uh, I think more uh, I, when I get nostalgic and I look back at uh, um, where Kokomo has been and where it's going, I think there's uh, – the rearview mirror is more vivid than the vision ahead, unfortunately. I've said this on the podcast with other folks who are basically my age, and I'm 53, uh, that growing up in the 70s and 80s is probably one of the three or four greatest things I've ever experienced. It was such a wonderful time to be a kid. Yes, and we inhaled back then too, didn't we? <laughs> we took big wheels off ramps in the middle of the street. <laughs> and we ate... Uh, paint chips, uh, and, and I'm sure we uh, played in uh, many of attic with asbestos, so we've survived <laughs> somehow, some way. But uh, no, I think you're absolutely right. And can you imagine the clothing back then that we wore? Those leisure suits, right? <laughs> the faded yellow Olin Mills or whatever pictures that get posted on Facebook from time to time where everybody looks like the Almond family, the Osmond family, excuse me, from back in the day. Do you have a particular memory of that time 
that that is most enjoyable to you besides playing with your friends that sort of thing like wow this oh, really stands out yeah I, um, I guess what stands out are things that 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 cause me to reminisce with with a smile on my face is is not having air conditioning you know we didn't have air conditioning and and uh um just listening to continental steel in the background with its air hammer and you'd fall asleep to the air hammer you know the the boom whatever you know I, I, i'm not a very good imitation imitator of uh, of noises but just having the window down and, and how the noise carried and you would fall asleep to it despite being miserably hot um and then um just uh, man highland park and kokomo was our life catching crawdads and you know playing baseball wiffle ball and those were some of the great great memories do you think kids today would be amazed at how much fun you could have back then with no money oh sure and 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 no helicopter parents back then i mean we would take our bikes everywhere from from the neighborhood to across town to downtown and you know parents didn't know where you were and it was okay (laughs) no way to check in and then on top of that wgn chicago had the cubs on every day at at, i think 2 30 and uh so we would find a place to hunker down and watch some Cubs. You know, so we had to go someplace where there's no parents, okay? Because in the seventies, you had to slip off and at least smoke a cigarette or so, or at least try one when you're 15. And uh, I, I contacted a friend a couple of years ago, and uh, I saw that his brother had tragically passed, and so I called him up, and he first thing, you know, he goes, uh, "I hate you," and, and he meant it in a very funny way. And I go, "What do you mean?" He goes. Oh, we smoked cigarettes when I was 15. I'm still smoking today, and I hate you for it. Oh, that's uh, funny. But, uh, you know, back then, we all had to smoke. Um, you know, but... Uh, I think it's one of the things when I deal with my own kids who are 31, 20, and 18, but when you talk about growing up or and how different it was, it was the lack, it was the lack of parental involvement from a sense of what you just said you just left and they couldn't fathom as i used to say you'd leave at 10 or in the morning and you'd come back at six and you never call in and you never came through unless you wanted something to drink or eat but they couldn't they couldn't process that in their mind that i would allow my kid like right now to be gone for eight hours and never hear from them but it was second nature for us and second nature for our parents like get the hell out well i think there was a lot more i don't know um trust and i don't know where that trust has eroded you know is it that we have lost trust in society uh and how they treat our kids i, I don't know you know and uh i i i haven't got that one figured out but you know you know getting disciplined in school where i got whacked i remember i got whacked a few times for throwing snowballs um got whacked a few times for fighting in school yeah i, I got in a lot of fights in school um and you know, my mom and dad didn't go to the school and clamoring about me being whacked or the injustice of, of physical corporal punishment. Now, if we were to do that, yeah. uh, you know, a, a, a school principal or a dean would do that. They would have, you know, outrage at the next school board meeting. But yet those fleeting moments of discipline built character. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, it built character. I used to always laugh that since both of my parents were in the Marine Corps, 
I didn't mind the discipline in school. Like that was somewhat of a yeah, that was child's play, right? <laughs> You're a tall person. Um, did you play basketball in high school or play any sports? Because back then you're talking single class basketball, Kokomo Anderson, a lot of good rivalries there. No, I had the coordination of a baby calf. <laughs> no. But how big was sports to you, like in high school, like that whole scene of of Indiana basketball in the seventies and eighties? You know, now that we have classes, it's not nearly as fervent as it used to be we've had a lot of sports writers on bill benner and others who talked Mm. about robin miller how amazing it was back then do you recall going to games and how oh it was my grandfather was from macedonia and my grandfather uh this is my paternal grandfather came from macedonia and uh and and he took me to watch at memorial coliseum in kokomo i don't know every every game and I don't, for like three or four years until I kind of grew out of it. But he loved basketball, loved basketball. And, and you know, at, uh, coming from Macedonia where, uh, you know, I remember him recounting stories uh, with me. They played soccer in soccer fields. And it was not uncommon. And I don't mean me to be uh, take this down an R-rated uh track but it was not uncommon back then to play soccer and uh one of the players would hit a landmine left over from uh, world war one and and uh, but yet they played anyway they played anyway which was you know, really bizarre and um but he just thought so much of america he just loved it and and something else uh um and uh i still have a uh, copy of the warrant for his arrest his immigration arrest so he came over here in uh April, oh, I'm sure I'll be wrong, April 10th, 1927. But he came over here first in 1923 and was shipped back. Uh, I think he came through Ellis Island, and he was 16. And so he went back to Macedonia. He was rejected. And uh, then the second time, he was a double-crosser. He double-crossed and came through Canada in 27. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you what that meant. uh, On the SS Arabic. And he came through Halifax, Nova Scotia. And um, uh, so then he, he, he came through the, the United States, through D- Detroit. And then I remember as a kid, as a kid, us, our family was panicking about uh, uh, writing letters uh, because uh, a warrant had been issued for his arrest. And, and they were looking for him. And this man, you know, here he's got five kids already, five grandkids. He uh, was working in the steel mill and had his own uh, restaurant for 25 years, and, and it was just uh, that, that's a very memorable time. Vague memories, but sure. but, uh, but ba- we'll, we'll come back full circle to basketball. I did not know what classes were back then. Uh, my other grandfather uh, was a, a basketball referee, and uh, and he was uh, the alternate uh, referee for the Milan game. Oh, the Milan Miracle game? Was that yes, 54? Yes. I think I think so. I think so. But I have his whistle and I have the program from uh, the program from that day and he sat on the bench in case one of the other referees uh was uh, uh sick or sprained an ankle. He he was going to would come in enter the game, but uh um so my my knowledge of basketball was was uh I don't know, just limited. I was really big into baseball, played baseball and uh uh, I just enjoyed my time with my grandfather at the basketball games, but partaking in the game, 
man, I'm so uncoordinated that it was just best for me just to stay off the field or the, or the field. Listen to me, stay off the court in high school. You started your first business. Is that correct? Mm, I did. Tell us about it. Well, um, I got a camera, uh, for Christmas and, uh, I liked it, but I also, um, I don't know. I, I really like photography and someone had asked me, would you mind taking pictures of, uh, it was a, I was at a swim meet and someone said, Hey, some of those pictures, uh, would you take mind taking a couple pictures of my daughter? And I, there was an exchange of money and, and I declined, but then it got me thinking, well, some money. Cause you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, uh, you have limited options. My very first job was uh, at Craig's Restaurant in Kokomo at 12, child labor, uh, <laughs> 60 cents an hour. And I remember uh, driving there on Monday when they were closed to get my paycheck, of, which was cash of $3.60. I thought that was high cotton. Uh, but um, so, you know, the camera really was a gateway to a different world. It was a gateway to, to buy a bicycle. It was a gateway to, to buy a car. And so I learned how to make money uh, taking pictures, and I took pictures, uh, weddings, uh, all the way up to uh, uh, senior pictures. I did a lot of senior pictures in high school and, and loved it, and to this day I still take pictures. And I don't do it for money, but it is, it is a hobby I absolutely love. You went to Concordia College. In St. Louis, yes. Why Concordia? Why leave Indiana with all these good schools here? Well, <laughs> something specific about it? No. No, I became a police officer in, in uh, Houston Police Department back in 82, give or take. And um, um, and so when I went to the – you know, I barely graduated high school. I mean, barely. I remember, um, you know, going to – Spring school, you know, spring break school, night school, summer school, uh, everything just to graduate. I mean, I think I was like four thirty nine out of five, four seventy nine. So I was pretty bad. Um, and uh, but when I went to the Houston Police Academy, I graduated number one in my class, and I graduated number two academically. And you know, in our household, it wasn't any type of implied or. Uh, any subtle hints that you're going to go to college. So it just really wasn't on my grid. But once I graduated number two academically, number one in the Houston Police Department, uh, Police Academy, you know, I'll go, oh, hang on. I, I might want to consider higher education. And so uh, when I left the Houston Police Department for the Odessa Police Department, which that was – the Odessa Police Department was was an extraordinary experience. And, and I, I, I love – that that town, that experience, the people that I worked with, absolutely love them. Uh, we're still in connection today, 30, 35 years later, give or take. But I started going to – in fact, I went to the Odessa Police Department because part of their uh, edge over the Houston Police Department was they would allow you to go to, to go to school and they would pay for it. So I started going there at a community college and also at, uh, University of Texas Permian Basin. And I – I really got downrange uh, in, a, in a degree program, and then uh, I had an opportunity to come back to the, the Indianapolis, and I came got on the Indianapolis Police Department. So I kind of put my my education educational path on hold, 
then uh, I went into the corporate world. I worked for Ecolab 10 years, and they transferred me to St. Louis. And as my kids were getting older, I thought, man, it's going to be hard for me to really press and push the the higher education angle when they could always say, but Dad, you didn't go. So that's when I decided to go. And Concordia, which was not the real perfect match for me, but what made it a match was in shopping for the different universities, I was looking for someone, an institution that had a, a an adult-type uh, accelerated learning and who would give me credit for classes attended. Sure. And Concordia was very liberal. So, you know, they would take, like, probation. Well, that could be an elective. They would take uh, police administration. Oh, that could be a business class. So they were really good at, at uh, uh, connecting some dots for me. So uh, I went there two years. And uh, uh, that's how I got uh, my degree. And it was not for any other reason. And now, now, now let me tell you, it's a Lutheran college. So whether you had basket weaving or statistical math, you were talking Jesus somehow, some way during that, that, that class. <laughs> you mentioned a few minutes ago law enforcement. What about being in law enforcement was attractive to you? Oh, it, uh, making a difference. It's easy. And I think that that's what a lot of people struggle with is, you know, when you go in, I mean, you have to go into police work with the right heart, even though that some officers may think they're not making a difference. But when you go into it, you can see a direct corollary between uh, what you do and the difference that you're making day in, day out. And um, and I know that people in, in the workforce where they're exchanging time for money or, or a result for money. Uh, you know, outside civil service, sometimes they struggle with, you know, how am I making a difference? Um, but police work, it was just, it was easy. I felt every day I went to work, I was making a difference. I was being purposeful. I was adding to the collective. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with that today is that they, they struggle with how am I, by me selling this widget, how am I advancing the cause of humanity? How am I making a difference? Well, they, they are. Um, they just need help with, with discovering that. Um, but there's something about that sort of service and, and maybe this resonates, but maybe it doesn't, but a lot of the professions for which I have the most respect are the ones that I would never personally do. I would never be a teacher. I just would never want to be a fireman, a plumber, a cop, a police officer, like I just a coroner, you know, all those sorts of things where it's like I couldn't even imagine doing that. And so when it comes to law enforcement and law enforcement officers, I'm lucky. One of my first job, my first job out of graduate school was working at the sheriff's garage at 42nd and Shadeland. This was 20 plus years ago. And I met the best people, just mm-hmm. terrific group of people. But there is something internal with folks who do that or who join the military or who serve in combat that they put themselves behind others unless they're purposely shielding others physically as part of their duties. Is that something that resonated with you? Mm-hmm. Like, this is how I can give back. I think, um, how I think at a very early age, uh, me being a protector of, of less fortunate, weaker, um, and weaker is not the right word necessarily. I mean, maybe at a disadvantage, more vulnerable, more vulnerable. 
you know, there's a lot of words to describe that. Um, you know, that, that always resonated with me. Um, you know, and, and <laughs> I was the, as, as coordinated as a baby calf on, on the, uh, uh, the ball court, you know, I wasn't very coordinated and, 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 you know, I was tall, slanky, skinny, you know, did I get made fun of? Absolutely. Why did I get into in fights is because there was a point in time where my circuit breaker said enough's enough. And so, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, um, I, I used to liken it with, uh, you know, if someone spits in your face, okay, I'll, I'll just back away, turn my back. The next day they spit in your face. Okay, this has just got to be an ass kicking I got to take. I mean, you know, <laughs> I can't walk away from this one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by being that tall, slanky, awkward kid, you know, there was there was some bullying components. Um, and in a way, sometimes I think bullying isn't bad. Uh, you know, I'm not going to encourage my kids to go bully, but then again, I was bullied, and I think it was it was it was good for me to some degree. Uh, you know, that can be defining times in your life. Um, so, you know, I, I think some, some of that uh, helped encourage me to, to go into law enforcement is, is to, uh, to help right any wrongs, help to uh, talk for those people who can't talk for themselves, to uh, advocate for people uh, who can't advocate for themselves. And, uh, um, and I, I love law enforcement. and I loved it back then. I still love it today. Do you have a favorite TV or movie cop? Now, you know, I have a hard time with uh, TV shows that or movies uh, that try too hard. And uh, so but my my to me, the most realistic, there's two out there that, that are realistic to me that I can resonate with. And that is uh, um, End of Watch and uh, Colors with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The. uh the uh, Robert Duvall, Sean Penn, just that whole, uh, I don't know, I, I can, that, that, that was in my time frame so that I can relate to that. The cars. So. No, no Dirty Harry. No, 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 no. No TJ Hooker. No, no, can't, can't, can't connect, can't connect <laughs> the dots. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Paul Lucian, founder and CEO of Lucian. Paul, is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you particularly admire? That's a good one. Yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is, is Mitch Daniels. And I just like his um, his unrattled, easy way in which he communicates. Um. I don't know. I, I just he—he's just—he's real quick. Um, I, I like what he uh, uh, his his management style as governor. I like his style as uh, head of Purdue. And then there's some others that that aren't so notorious, I guess, when it comes to to uh, leadership. And 
I think we have a uh, just let me just speak in general. I think we have a lot of great leaders in in, in Indiana, and they're um, it's it's a shame sometimes that um, they don't get recognized because they never elevate to prominence or elevate to uh, where they're where they're newsworthy on a daily basis. So, um, and, and I heard a great uh, podcast this morning. I think it was a podcast. It was by. Uh, um, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey was talking about you know who do you aspire to be you know who who's someone that uh, uh, is uh, uh, who's your hero and he goes it's me twenty five years out I thought that's pretty good so maybe uh, my leaders and legends that uh, I aspire to be is me twenty five years from today because um, I think that's some, that's something really to think about and ponder about how different are you now than you were in nineteen ninety six oh mercy. A lot less intense, although I'm very intense uh, still to this day. Uh, I'm still passionate about what I do, passionate about my causes, uh, different. Um, let's see here, probably less arrogant. Um, I always had a problem with that, being a little edgy. But, you know, come on, it, it is what it is. Um, is it arrogance or is it directness? Oh, I'm very direct. Uh no, but you know, it doesn't matter because from an arrogance perspective, if that's how I'm perceived, then uh, it's it's an earned label. Um, but yeah, I've I've been told multiple times that I could be edgy or self righteous, direct, arrogant, etc. Now, now, to me, arrogant, I do not believe I fit the equation of arrogance. I believe that arrogance is about having that edge which I know I do, in other words, having an attitude, plus being selfish equals arrogance. Uh, selfish, I'm not. Oh, I mean, we're all selfish, but as far as being, uh, you know, when I'm encountering somebody and I push their buttons, I'm pushing their buttons because I want them to be, to be better. If I'm sitting or if I'm talking in front of 50 people, 75 people and, and uh, you know, I push some buttons. That's intentional. I, I want some. I, when I leave an audience of several people, I want them walking out going, "Oh shit, I got a lot of work to do." That man made, made me think. There's a difference between selfish and stingy. Well, see, I believe that. Let's let's go there. I believe there's a continuum called self-interest, selfish, and then greedy. And we just instantly go from zero to greedy. Uh, people, you know, all that they're greedy. Uh, no, they're not. They're probably selfish. There's a difference. And, you know, we talk about the greed of Wall Street. I don't think Wall Street's greedy. I think there's some people there that are greedy. But we, it's God ordained for us to look after our self-interest. I mean, I cannot help my kids seek the kingdom of heaven unless I seek it first. Um, you know, and, and, and the gazelle uh, that gets eaten by the lion or captured by the lion on the, on the, the Serengeti that mother lion eats last, or I'm sorry, she eats first because she's got to make sure she's got energy for the next hunt because she's got to provide for her 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 kids. Um, so you know you got to look after yourself first. And and, and there, the dairy farmer in Wisconsin didn't wake up one day and go, "Well, honey, you know what? Uh, we really need to get start milking some cows to provide for our community here." No, that that dairy farmer said, "You know what? I see an opportunity that we can sell 
the milk of our cows. Uh, and it totally, it totally starts out with a self-interest play. And part of our commerce and perpetuating commerce and, 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 and economy is that we tap into our self-interest. And if we tap into our self-interest, we end up helping the collective. Now, selfish to me is when you take a little bit more than you should. And we learn that early on. Uh, when you break a candy bar for your little sister and you say, oh, well, I got to share. There's, these sides are not – it's not quite equal. <laughs> I'll give her the smaller one. Um, so, you know, we, we learn at, a early, at an early age that we can be selfish. And all of us have bouts of, 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 of being uh, selfish. But it's the patterns of being selfish that are problematic. But that doesn't mean they're greedy. A person of greed is someone that will they, – they look at every person as an opportunity to exploit. They will stand in your way of your success so, so uh, they can be successful. And that's, that's – these people just – Bernie Madoff is a great example. I was thinking him – the whole time you've been saying that, that's the name that's been popping into yeah. my head. Do you, there, I didn't know this phrase until I started working at Shield Sexton, which is a construction company here in Indianapolis. A friend of mine says – uh, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. And I had never heard that phrase before. Is that one you use or resonates with you when you're talking about greed and greediness? Uh, sure. Mine's is uh, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Uh, yeah, I've said that a few times. And I, it was not original. I, I remember the day I heard that and I had to repeat it. It was when I was trying to ask a little bit more money for a piece of property and they were offering me a lot. And I said, uh, you know, I've never sold a property without countering the offer. And the realtor says, Paul, let me stop you right here. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't counter. He goes, this is a cash deal. They're going to close in 14 days. Pigs get fat. Hogs get slaughtered. And I've borrowed the term every since. So um, sure, sure. And, and you know, it, we as society, we, we're, we're, we're labeling people these, these radical, radical labels that maybe aren't deserving uh you know maybe they're on that continuum somewhere but we just instantly go from uh nothing to a whole lot really quick these days and and i i think it's to our de detriment as a society and uh, it's unfortunate that we do that and greed is one it's one word you founded lucian in 1997 you started as an entrepreneur at a young age what made you think a company bearing your name could be successful and why would I come to you to seek your guidance at Lucian your team's guidance well I hear like two or three parts to a question so a name that bears or a company that bears my name um We'll start there. First of all, I, I I didn't know any better when I when I started this business. You know, if if uh, uh, I just looked at other people in the in the sales and sales management training business, that, that was always their last name and associates. And so uh, here I am, a person of one, and I said Lucian and associates. Although I did not have any associates, <laughs> um, so it's you know it's interesting that here 25 years later we have 15 people give or take and and uh, uh we do bring meaning to the word associates but yet we took associates off it's just now lucian um it's interesting how, how things change but you know why why do business and i think that's that's a good question by the by the way because it's it's 
I don't think a lot of companies really understand their true why, you know, why they do what they do. I mean, they're really good at, at what they do and how they do it and have some some shallow mission of, of uh, earning a buck or two. Uh, but that's not who we are. We're a mission over money company. And in fact, we'll, we'd rather help a company for free than to see them go out of business. I mean, that's always been important to us. Uh, so, you know, our, our why is very clear and, you know, our, what we call center line of purpose and our center line of purpose is, is, uh, you know, a couple things that one is that to, to help each one of our clients individually and collectively reach beyond anything that they ever imagined before. And second is we're not going to. We're not feel-good trainers, and we're never going to be. I just – I don't uh, – if you're going to go to Vietnam – Emily Shaw is not <laughs> – my my trainer is not a feel-good trainer. Well, if you're going to Vietnam, and you know you're going, do you want a drill sergeant who's going to be real nice and feel good stuff and be motivational, or are you going to want someone who gets in your ass occasionally? There's a, there's a, there's a purpose to it. Uh, my son, Joshua, who did two tours in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. joined the military, joined the Army after 9-11. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be – 11 Bravo, which is combat infantryman. And I'm like, first off, I'm incredibly proud of him for joining. You should. And then should. for choosing combat arms in wartime. I mean, he knew where he was going to go. And as a dad, I'm sure you... Ugh. It's it's incredibly frightening. But I'm like, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Like, And, mm. and he, he said, I want the toughness. I want the discipline. Mm. And I go, well, you're going to get it. Mm. And it's something you're incredibly proud about. But at the same time, you always worry, is it too much? Mm. Are people going to reject the training, reject the attitude, the pressure, the stress? And those who don't, to your point, come out as refined steel as you can possibly mm. get. Mm. Yeah. First of all, thanks for your son's service. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm, I can see as you talk that you're beaming with pride as you talk about your son. That's awesome. Um, so... I guess go back to your question, and and I'll I'll lay off the salty language, but it, we're we're not going to be, and I've never wanted to be a feel good training company, just because I I think that uh, getting someone motivated, I mean, they leave your place, they get in the car, and they drive four blocks, then they go to their office, they'll start making cold calls. That motivation is done. You know, we want to align. Uh, you know, your values are defined in your behavior. We want to make sure that they, they, they value the right thing so the behavior comes easy. And sometimes that's that's interrogatories, not not just inner questions. I mean, they, these are deep diving questions. And, and you know, we, we're committed to being a cast iron type training company, not stainless steel. We really don't care about the optics and, and all the, the, the shiny things. We care about just getting stuff done in a, in a raw sort of way and, and getting to the rawness of, of human nature. And how do we unleash that, un- unlock it, um, so that people can reach, uh, you know, levels they never thought possible? See, they, they may have these thoughts of I-, I can be there one day, but there's no commitment to it because they don't know how to execute, or they let things get inside their way. Uh, they they let head trash uh, all the all the uh, the negative energy inside their head uh, get the best of them, and and and. You know, we work in those areas so that it's not like you can make the head trash go away. It's, you can't make those barriers to, the, to success just go away. But we work on how to better manage them. 
because everything that you want and what, what's meant to be is on the other side of your, of your fears. We like to help those fears come alive so we, so we can help people see what those fears really are. Now, how do you better manage those fears? Uh, so I don't know if I'm getting to the why necessarily, but, uh, uh, well, let me ask a question. Yeah. Is it, is it, which is more difficult taking a, a client who has, let's say C level success to B level success on a grading scale, or is it more difficult to take the person who has B level success all the way up to the A? Like, I'm doing pretty well. I must know what I'm doing when it comes to sales. And you have to tell them, no, 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 you're not. You're not even close to reaching your potential. Is there a difference in the difficulty? Oh, I don't think so. I think uh, uh, the biggest difficulty, regardless where they are on the spectrum, as far as C player to B player, B minus to an A, it's going to be the pride. If If they cannot be intellectually vulnerable with you, Okay. In other words, what I mean by that is, look, when they're out there in the real world, they need to have the bravado, the edge, et cetera. Um, but then when it comes to when they're with a coach or a consultant, you got to be smart enough, intellectually vulnerable. You, know, I, you need to be smart enough to say, okay, now I'm in front of a coach, an advisor. I need to be vulnerable. And that's important. If someone can go there where you can do a deep dive into what's going on, because, look, I think what we sell – and I'm going off the grid here a bit. Look, please go ahead. When, when, when someone sees me at a party, what do you do, Paul? Well, sales training, sales management training. It's just easy for someone to wrap their arms around it. But that's not what we sell. Uh, we're, we're business development consultants, and and but the the bottom line of that is we sell sales wisdom, sales management wisdom. So where we are in our zone is about wisdom because selling is about decoding human behavior. There's a lot of complexities, a lot of nuances to it, to that. And, and it's not about fancy one liners or manipulating or maneuvering or scheming to get things done. It's about how do I, how do I decode this person that I'm in front of so I can help facilitate a conversation where this person feels trust and respects me to the degree that they can disclose comfortably what it is they need fixed. And, um, and it's not about tactics and fancy one liners and it's just not, it's, it's, it's about wisdom. You were insight. Excuse me. You were talking a few minutes ago about your characteristics and and your personality. How do you handle it when you run up against someone who's just like you? I think I unfortunately attract a lot of people just like me. (laughs) You know, I pray every day that uh, Jesus send me people I can help. And I think he sends me the people that are just like me. (laughs) I swear he does. Um, yeah, I have a clients that that I have a lot of similarities, and I'm upfront with them. <laughs> you got some traits that I have. I just thank God I'm 40 years ahead of you on the problem. Does that facilitate an understanding, or is it more of you guys become goats on a mountain? I don't know what goats on the mountain mean. Banging your heads against oh, each no, other. Oh no, no, I don't know. And you know the the gray hair gives me an advantage, and the wisdom gives me an advantage. 
because you know I'm dealing with someone ten years younger, or, or let's just say that that they're my age. Okay, but see, I've been dealing with versions of me for the last thirty years, give or take, right? And you know, someone like them may have only dealt with a version of themselves once or twice when they were subordinate, and they didn't last too long. So I'm a coach and advisor, so you know, I'm not in someone, I'm not in someone's life every single day. You know, I'm like guerrilla warfare. I can come in, take a hit, then leave, let them digest what I got to say, then come back two weeks later and come back and take another hit and leave. What is the, if you could mention one or two or so, personality traits that inhibit business growth and larger understanding? Is it lack of confidence, too much confidence? Well, you <laughs> and the list goes on and on. Well, I think that uh, the the long term one that gets in the way is no north star. You know, they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. That that's going to be the longer the longer play that gets in their way is no north star. And what is Lucian's north star? To make a difference in this world, impact those that we that we work with to grow beyond what they ever thought possible. That's important to us. That's important to everybody here. I like it. I absolutely love it when uh, people that I work with, uh, you know, ex- their income exceeds my own. Their net worth exceeds my own. Um, you know, I, I like it because I've been uh, – I'm responsible for that to some degree. I mean, they'll, they'll sit there and tell me, thank you. If not for you, fill in the blank. Sure. Uh, Short term – um. what you know when I said that your dream everything that's meant to be and everything that you want is on the other side of your fears the short term is that fear factor you know what are what are your fears and why are you letting your fears stand in the way you know why why isn't your compelling reason your okay compelling reason north star mm-hmm. just cause right mm-hmm. Why isn't your compelling reason allowing you to jump through that brick wall of your fears? So short term, it's going to be, you know, the busting through that wall. Long term, let's say you bust through uh, because you're in pursuit of money and you need, uh, you know, it's kind of all about money and, and, and you'll bust through, bust down the door for some fear. But then long term, you're going to have some problems because uh, as you build a team around you and they're not – um, you know, they're not, not going to be wired like you, and 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 if you're going to assemble a team, they the team needs to have a vision, a vision, mission, and, and and a value statement. You know, the company needs its north star. It needs to be printed, documented, because where there's clarity, there's energy. And if you need to move the masses of a company, they need to have clarity on why are they doing what they're doing. One of the most famous lines in movie history is Strother Martin. And Cool Hand Luke, who said, there's some men you just can't reach. Do you accept that, that that's possible? Or do you believe that everyone is coachable, everyone has an ability to improve, to grow? Oh, mercy, mercy. No, I don't think, I I think, uh, uh, I think there's a point in time where, where, Everybody has their circuit breaker where I'm done learning. I'm done stretching. 
and I'll just look at my circuit breaker. Do I want to learn a new TV remote? Whatever <laughs> happened to TV remotes where it's just up, down on volume, up, down on ch- channels. But now the TV remotes are so complicated, it's, it's on my phone, right? And one more new TV remote, I've reached my circuit breaker. So, And I do think that there's uh, people in life have uh, – um, you know, the different circuit breakers, like, uh, and some of them reach it at 21. You know, I'm done learning. I'm just going to binge watch Netflix the rest of my life and, and, uh, uh, and drive for Uber. And that was the question I was asking you a little bit earlier was the plateauing where people go, I make 300 grand a year. That's an amazing salary, more than I ever thought. And so they're just happy at that level. And you come in or Lucian comes in through its associates and says, you're just scratching the surface. There's so much more. Hmm. How how hard is it to shake people, quite frankly, like me, out of that complacency? Well, first is 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 you got to ask the question to them why? Why would you want to? And they got to have a why. And if their why is well, I don't. Well, I mean, you're going to have some difficulties, um, and you can help them discover there's a greater why. But if if they don't buy into a greater version of a new why for themselves, you're not going to get anywhere. It's like you know a car that gets wrecked. I mean the 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 cost to repair them exceeds the value of the car of whatever the car could be. And so sometimes you have people that are have been totaled. It's just not, it's not going to go anywhere. You started off our com- professional conversation about your time as a police officer. And yet now you're doing sales training. You're an entrepreneur helping other entrepreneurs. How did that transition, that leap, that change come about? Well, first and foremost, I, I think that police work defined me. Working in the corporate world with Ecolab refined me. Uh, I had never had any intention of leaving police work at all, but I got fired as a police officer in, I think, 88, give or take, uh, we made a false police report, uh, a couple, three of us, and I was the ringleader, so to speak. I was the one that was, yeah, let's say this happened. And one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I was without a job. Um, you know, back when I was 28 years old, it's like. Is it important for you to say that? To say this is why I got fired? Uh, that just is what it is. I mean, I don't. Um, just a matter of fact statement. Now, I guess. Um, as today, it's a more of a matter-of-fact statement that uh, carries less weight than maybe in the very beginning. But I've never hid, I've never, uh, hid from the fact that I was terminated, ever. Um, now I feel like it was a blessing, you know, for the first couple of years. Like, oh, man, I'm fired. I'm tarnished. Because, uh, you know, you can, at 28 years old, you can get fired and, and I don't know if a, a police officer is a blue is it labeled you know blue collar or white collar. I really don't care. But let's just say I was 28 years old and I was fired at from Eli Lilly's so and so department, right? You know, insert name there, um, <laughs> mailroom. I don't care. <laughs> and you know, they see a gap of employment. Um, no one's going to think anything. But when they see on your on your resume gap of employment, or not gap of employment, but they, they just see a, a short term. Let me rephrase this: If you work someplace else at twenty eight, that you made as much as a police officer, 
and they see that you were only there two years and you went on to something else, no questions are going to be asked. But when they see on your resume that Houston Police Department, Odessa Police Department, and the Indianapolis Police Department, and I, I wanted to come back home. That's why I left Odessa. Uh, and I want to come back home. So I, I applied for the uh, the Indianapolis Police Department and got on. And when that's on your resume that you were there two years, well, people scratch their heads like, why? Yeah, it's a lifetime gig. Yeah. And then, and then you say you've been fired or terminated. Oh, my God, what happened? Bad cop, crooked cop. Um, and, you know, so, man, you just got to deal with it up front. <laughs> I got fired. Um. And, and the police department did the right thing. And that's what's frustrating today is that, uh, I mean, this was back in 88, right? And, and people will, will get up in arms about, about the police department not doing the right thing. Well, that's, that's not entirely true. Um, you know, the department firing me was the right thing to do. I, I lied. I fibbed mm-hmm. um, about a, a – a, now, when it, when it was being investigated, I didn't, didn't fib. Um, you know, I, I – told the truth yeah we wrecked a car <laughs> well not we someone else wrecked the car it just happened to be my car and i wasn't in it <laughs> um so but you know i i'm not ashamed to tell the story because i think it's it's okay to be fired sometimes it, it helps course correct your your character sometimes it's course correct what what is meant to be in your life what God has ordained for you. Uh, I look today at if not for being fired, I wouldn't be where I am today. And if not for police work being in my life for as long as it's been in my life, I don't think I'd be the coach and consultant I am today. But now you have the best of both worlds. Yes, I do. You're an entrepreneur with Lucian and you're on the Lawrence police department. Mm -hmm. Given the, immense responsibility you have as a business owner you add to that by being a public servant in law enforcement why the pull well there's more of a pull now than there was um i had no intention of going back to uh law enforcement to go work the road uh but then the the police chief and i were friends and he said oh you should go back on the road and no i'll just do special projects and then i i went to get my 40 hours to get kind of ramped back up to, to adhere to the, or to abide by the law, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know, quite know the law as far as training, but I, I have an Indiana law enforcement Academy, uh, uh, endorsement. Or- yeah, whatever you call it. And I need 40 hours to, to reactivate that, I think. And so, well, he didn't tell me that then I had to go to to field training. So I had to work the road and like, okay, you know, he didn't tell me this. So he didn't quite tell me the whole entire story. and um, But then I liked it. And so uh, then soon after uh, working the road again, which which I really enjoyed working the road. I, I still work the road. I, 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 I really enjoy it. And I enjoy it for, I, to me, all the right reasons. And, you know, it's not a middle-aged crisis. I got to prove something. It's not where I go relive my youth. It's not that. It's that I um, – uh, I think that, you know, your job as a policeman is to make people's bad, the bad days they're having is the best bad day they've ever had. And, um, and I think 
Look, I'm 61 years old, and, and I know some officers could be listening to this, and they go, man, this guy's crazy. Um, but this is, to me, a perfect time to be in law enforcement as opposed to the other way around. And I know officers are, are leaving the department by sure. not feeling support, but the pendulum swings both ways. And, and, and I have the luxury of running the, the Lawrence Police Department cadet program, have for five, six, seven years, I don't know, a long time. Uh, and I get to work with these kids and help mold the future of law enforcement. I mentioned to you before that my very best friend is a man named Jim Dora Jr., who's been a reserve IMPT officer for more than 30 years. And he also owns the Crown Plaza at Union Station and various other hotels. He's and a good man. I know him. He's a damn good man. And, uh, you know, like instead of doing whatever people like him can do with that level of, of income and access or whatever, he's working the swamp at Brookside Park on a Saturday night in August. And it's something to be absolutely admired in your case as well. And all sworn and merit officers and reserves who go out there when they could be doing so many other things, more, more selfish things. Let me ask you two or three more questions, and then we'll get to the final five questions that we ask of all of our guests. Oh, mercy. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you had some beers with the Sex Pistols. This is a very unique uh, moment in the Leaders and Legends podcast <laughs> yeah, pantheon. Well, well, Please tell us about it. Uh, I didn't know who they were first. So I'm at... Uh, Oh, I was, I was walking the the paddock at the F1 race. Um, who was the guy that starred on ER and on the, the Maverick uh, backseat? Um, oh, Anthony Edwards. Yeah, Anthony Edwards. So I was with Anthony Edwards, which I <laughs> he had his uh, F1 race. Uh, I was talking to him, and I was I was with a few friends um, with with the pit pass. Or, I don't think they call them pit passes. But anyway, the F1 race credentialing is amazing. Um, and I'm with someone, and we, we sit down with uh, – uh, these guys are just absolutely funny. A couple of them are missing their teeth. Uh, they're drinking uh, – uh, and, and they were hooting and hollering. People come up to them and yelling, and, and they were just loud, obnoxious. And uh, um, I'm loud and obnoxious, so we connected. And uh, But have all your teeth? Yeah, I do have my teeth, all my teeth. Um, and I thought they're drinking motor oil because they're you know they're drinking this Guinness, right? And uh, uh, I, I finally, after like an hour, I'm, I'm Paul Lucian, and uh, I'm Johnny Rotten. I thought, shit, that name sounds familiar. That name sounds familiar. And then I forget the other one's name. I, I know one's dead, but uh, later I get a whisper here. Yeah, these are the Sex Pistols. Oh, okay. Which I would never follow their music. Sure. And uh, so I, I didn't have that awe factor. And, um, and the same thing with Anthony Edward. I didn't have that awe factor uh, when, I, when I first met him because he was in line to get the president of the United States to sign his $1 bill with his son. And I just thought he was just an average everyday guy. And he was like this groupie of a crowd and no one recognized him. And, and uh, so that was just a, a very odd, peculiar day, and I did enjoy my my beers with uh, the Sex Pistols. However, I did not drink their Guinness motor oil. <laughs> One other question I want to ask very quickly is: in 1982, you helped protect Ronald Reagan. Yes. How did that come about? Um, well, I was uh, Houston Police Department, and so they had uh, um, I was assigned Hobby Airport. So I liked airplanes, 
and uh, uh, we we knew Ronald Reagan was coming in, but no one knew who the officers were going to be. And um, so, you know, to me, I'm, I'm new. I mean, I'm out of the academy by, I don't know, four months, give or take. And and so I'm called into the, the squad room and and uh, uh, you know, you're going to be guarding the president as the plane comes in, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, you know, Lucian, you're with this 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 uh, Secret Service guy. OK. And so uh, he's going to be riding with you, and I got my own cop car, and or I go get a car, and so the agent is with me, and he says we're going to go to the edge of uh, uh, looks here on the map uh, Foxtrot, which is a, a taxiway, and I said okay. And so we're sitting there on Foxtrot uh, on the airport, and I said, so what are we doing? He says, well, what we're doing is that uh, all uh, uh, air traffic is going to be stopped. And Air Force One is going to be coming in, and uh, this is the uh, he's going to go to this this I don't know uh, apron or wherever, and, and Foxtrot parallels it. And if there's any car that uh, or any plane that comes down Foxtrot, uh, you and I are going to drive into its front landing gear. And I said, "We're what? <laughs> we're what? <laughs> he goes, we're going to drive into the landing gear." And I said, "Yes, sir." I mean, okay, I'm I'm all on board. This is until, just a year before Reagan had actually been shot, yeah, so well, it's got to be heightened. Anyway, so uh, it's like, what am I supposed to say? Really, what am I supposed to say? And I'll never forget that. And then, uh, um, I don't know. That's a very memorable experience. Did you get to see him at all? Yeah, I did. Distance? Yeah, I did. I did. I took my camera there, and and uh, I gave my camera to. Uh, uh, and I had to get my little glimpse. So I wasn't allowed to look at him, but I got my glimpse in, and, sure. and uh, it was pretty cool. We have reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all our guests. Mr. Lucian has answered the first question already. What was your first job? Craig Supermarket. So let me ask you a different first question. What was your first car? 67 Buick LeSabre. Weighed about how many tons? Man, I don't know. I have no idea, but what I would give to have that back today, that was that man, that was a fun car. What was your first concert? Oh, that's a story. Fog hat. Did you Fog take hat. a slow ride to the Fog Hat concert? Yeah, but listen to this one, okay? So I'm, I so I don't know what your what your time looks like, but I'm sure you can edit some other stuff out of here to to get this story in. So I'm flying back from Florida. And my, I'm separated from my wife just because I think we were uh, late uh, to Southwest. Anyway, whatever. We're, we were probably the C's and not the A's or the B's. And so we uh, were separated. And uh, the person who I sat next to, you know, he had nice jeans. Just you could tell that the person had, I don't know. He was older than I, a great gray haired guy, but, but you know, just the watch, the, the, the jewelry, you could tell he was a person of, of, of wealth. And uh, uh, and I he opened up his briefcase. He had kids pictures of his of grandkids. You could see and, and fishing. And I saw something that said fog something. So I had just at, had to ask. I said, uh, "So what do you do?" He goes, uh, "I forget his name. I can't remember names." Um, he says, "I'm the so and so with fog hat." And I go, "What?" Yeah, I'm with fog hat. And I go, "That was my first concert." You're kidding me. <laughs> And he goes, where are you from? He goes, Indiana. I said, Indianapolis. He goes, oh, the Coliseum, which was 1979, right? And um, 
but we got off the con- I mean, the next thing you know, we were talking about grandkids. So we were t- completely off. Uh, but he, he is the, uh, uh, the business guy. I mean, he's still active in the, in, in the band, but he's the business guy of the band and, and they still play and, and make money. And, but his life's all about his grandkids. But you talk about serendipitous uh, meeting. <laughs> Chris, I don't think we've had that particular story where you met the person with for you know, first concert. But that's, when they, that's when they still had carnival or festival seating. Festival seating, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Question number three. If you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend? Right now, I, Green Lights by my, uh, Matthew McConaughey. Good book. Number four, if you could witness any event in history, be there as it happens, which event would you choose? Hmm. The birth of Christ. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, two hours off the record to talk about anything, whom would you choose? Hmm. Well, I guess I see. I got categories. I'd have like religious category. Then I have business categories. So from since it's the month of May, I'll go to the business category and say Roger Penske. Um, we did some business with Roger Penske at my uh, first. Uh, uh, I had a sales call with Roger Penske at 2004, and um, that meeting was was very good for my career because it got me through a lot of my head trash. Because um, I remember Roger Penske saying, uh, uh, he asked me what I what I did because I was in the had a, a in the paddock at the Indy five hundred, and I said, "Well, I do sales and sales management training." And he goes, well, "We should talk." He gave me his card, and you know, I'm scratching my head. Well, why does Roger Penske want want to talk talk to me? You know, wh- why me? I never called him. So he sees me in August. You never called him? No, I did. I didn't. I wimped out. But, okay. Hey, look. I tell everybody, we're not imposters here at Lucian. We screw up sales calls too, okay? <laughs> and so um, it was um, in August at the at the Brickyard, and he walks across the paddock and sees me. He says, Paul, I thought you were going to call me. Okay, now, now I got to dance, right? Oh, man, sorry, Roger. I got busy. And then he takes out another business card, and he writes down his personal assistant's name and number and says, call me. Uh, so I call after I walk away with, why well, he wants to talk to me. Who, me? Me? Right. But so the soonest I could get on his calendar, this was August, right? The soonest I could get on his calendar was February, February. Wow. Mercy. So anyway, I remember driving there in February, freezing my butt off and I go into his office and it's all grand. And, and I didn't go into his office, but his office building and it's, it's race cars coming off the wall, Borg Warner trophies everywhere. And they take me to this little corner room as his, 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 his uh, office is uh, on a, Road like a triangle, like like Mass Ave coming into Pennsylvania or something like that. Uh, so, and they put us in this this triangle room, and it's cold, it's cold. And he comes in late. He goes, "Okay, let's jump to it." And um, so we sold him some uh, a three day event. And uh, but the reason I'd want to see him today is because uh, I me getting past that fear of that imposter syndrome. You know, why me? Why would someone like that want to talk to me? Um, uh, first is to tell him thank you for for that that day in August, walking across, remembering my name, and say let's let's talk, to say thank you for that, and that has uh, paid dividends in my career since. So, 
You didn't call Roger Penske. That's great. Yeah, well. (laughs) You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been Paul Lucian, founder and CEO of Lucian, and someone who I can tell you is an incredibly generous man who has gone out of his way to be helpful to me. His team, his service, his giving is absolutely unparalleled. And we thank you very much for your time today. I enjoyed this. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.